once again to the Power 5 Mentality Podcast, the first and only podcast discussing mid-major marketing, creative, and more. My name is Scott Peace, and I'm the Associate AD for External Affairs at the University of Evansville. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host and co-worker, Emily McMillan, Assistant Director of Media Relations and Creative Communications here at UE. Today, we are joined by Kanisha Rohn, Director of Digital Media and Social Strategy at Belmont. Kanisha has uh, previously served in roles in sports information and media relations at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as Tennessee State. Prior to starting her career, she graduated from Indiana University. Kanisha, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I'll turn it over to Emily for a little overview, and then we'll get started. Yeah, so we're going to jump right in and talk with Kanisha about her education, her early career, and how she made her way to Belmont. And then we'll dive a little bit more into what her role looks like at Belmont and how she balances social media and being an SID, a topic I can relate to quite a bit. And then we will just have some miscellaneous but really important topics uh, to finish off with before we do the R&D segment at the end. Uh, so I'll turn it back over to you, Scott, so we can get started. All right, so you guys didn't see this since it's audio only, but a lot of pride was coming from Kanisha when I mentioned IU. Um, so just tell us a little bit about how you ended up there for school and any kind of student involvement um, in the athletic department you may have had. Sure, um, so I, um, I majored in Afro-American studies. Now it's, um, gosh, African global studies, I think is now what the majors call it at IU. Um, and I was only interested in going to institutions that had that major, um, but I also wanted the official college experience, what you saw on, sa on Saturday mornings and afternoons with football when they would do the pan of the campuses. I thought that's what college looked like. And so that's where I wanted to go. And so the, the grand negotiation with my parents, particularly with my dad, was um, my first choice was way too far away. And so he said, IU, that's four hours. We can manage if we need to get there. Um, and I enjoyed it immensely. IU was a fantastic experience. Bloomington is the typical college town. Um, everybody is behind athletics there. It's fantastic. Um, I was not a student athlete. Um, there's a student athletic board that I was a part of, which is kind of, gosh, I don't even know if they even have these organizations anymore, which is kind of like a, a student ambassador role. Um, and so out of those groups um, would become um, those ambassadors who would give tours to um, in incoming student athletes or even potential student athletes or transfers, um, giving them tours of complexes, um, campus and dorms and things like that. And so um, that was a great way to get to know a lot of the student athletes um, who are now household names <laughs> um, and having parents say, don't let anything happen to my baby. Uh, that was pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I didn't do much sports stuff. I was very into academics um, and sorority life. Um, I did take a fencing class. Um, that's the best part of the big team. You can take the most random classes for academic credit. And so <laughs> I took a fencing class, fell in love with it and ended up fencing um, in the intramural sport uh, for the remainder of the time I was an undergrad. So it was just a very, very random coming across, oh, this looks cool, one hour <laughs> physical activity, and it changed my life. I love, love fencing. It helped a lot when I got to pin um, because I got assigned fencing as a sport. And so I actually knew the difference between weapons and what, what a parry was instead of someone's first name. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> that is very cool. I, uh, I took fitness walking in college. Um, so <laughs> not quite as cool as yours, but similar nonetheless. Um, so you mentioned pin. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. 
<laughs> so that always filled up very fast. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so you mentioned Penn there in your last answer, and that's where you ended up um, after Indiana as athletic media relations assistant. Um, tell us, um, tell us a little more about that. You know, Penn and Indiana are both great places, but probably very different. Um, so, what are some of the differences there, and just your overall experience? Penn is a phenomenal institution. I cannot be a bigger enough cheerleader for the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I was there when there were amazing athletes that are now household names um, because they have pin relays, obviously. Um, so hopefully track folks will know what pin relays is and love it. It's the most amazing um, week long um, track meet um, from middle schoolers up until 90 year old folks <laughs> with Olympic hopefuls as well. It's amazing. It's a who's who of, of track. And so part of the uh, graduate assistantship was working with their office to, to help them prepare for that massive event every year. Um, and then just helping to maintain the integrity and the legacy of such an amazing program like Penn. It's, it's a you know, hundreds year old program with amazing um, history and some of the who's who's um, in particularly at the turn of the century, well, turn of that century <laughs> uh, of names of folks who have gone on to, you know, be in government and things like that. And so um, doing a lot of archive work, most of my folks were, were just like, who wants to go and stand in the dusty closet and read all these books? And I'm like, this is governor so-and-so, and this is a picture of them as it was just, it was so cool. Um, the other thing was getting to know student athletes. Um, I knew them as people as undergrad, but we were peers. And so now getting to see them um, in this different light and hear the stories, um, how people were third and fourth generation at Penn. Um, some folks, um, families spent their entire inheritance to get them there. Um, but it's also not a scholarship school. And so for some folks, they were getting an academic scholarship to cover their cost of being there at University of Pennsylvania. Um, but I never even considered that being a part of the story of even some of my peers uh, when I was at IU that that was it was a thing like most of the folks that I knew had full rides or um, either academically or athletically but having to hear those stories of I have to go to Penn <laughs> my great-grandfather went to Penn it was like I can't even conceive of four generations of your family being at the same institution um, and how much so much has changed but not so much there's parts of campus that are very old and look the same as they did um, three and four generations ago, but it was just inheriting all of that and being the caretaker of such great, uh, like I said, such a great legacy was was really, really um, a humbling experience. It definitely made me appreciate what all SIDs appreciate, which is stats. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, it's funny how you can learn different things at different institutions as you go throughout your career. Um, you know, from Penn, you you called this before we hopped on here, your quote unquote first real job after Penn was at Tennessee State University where you served as coordinator of sports information. Um, again, uh, it's a third place. It's probably uh, unique from IU and Penn in, in their own ways again. So in what ways were Tennessee State a little different and what did your role there uh, look like? So it was actually very similar to Penn in that it was such a historical place People knew about the Tiger Bells, people, I mean, there's so many just amazing um, athletes who have come through Tennessee State University. So at that part, I already inherited the, the want to be able uh, to be a good caretaker of the legacy that I was going to inherit while working with those programs. Um, and that was really fashioned by my time at Penn, um, but also being in a different place. Like I had never 
intended to move this far south in my entire life. I, I did um, <laughs> a law, I clerked as, um, in a law office um, in undergrad and that was the furthest south I ever wanted to go and that was DC. And so coming to the south south was, was culture shock for me. Um, but again, the idea of wanting to be a part of something bigger than myself was what the, um, the intrigue was to come to Tennessee State. Um, I tried to find a job back east desperately. Um, if you know anything about this, the East Coast, there are millions of schools smashed into a very small geographic area and I applied up and down the coast and could not find anything much to my heart's discontent um, and interviewed actually with someone who was a mentor early in my career, Norm Riley, who passed away uh, a few years ago, who was at Birmingham Southern. And so he was like, I would love for you to be here, but I can't pay you what I know you're worth. You're bringing me Ivy League experience. You're bringing me NFL experience. You're bringing me Big Ten experience from where you came from. I can't pay you what you're worth, but I'm going to find you a job. So he literally found me the job at Tennessee State University by making some phone calls. Um, and I came sight unseen, had never even been to Nashville, <laughs> hopped on a Greyhound bus, had my stuff shift from Penn and showed up and was, hi, I'm, I'm new. <laughs> so going from sprint football and regular football um, at Penn to big time football at Tennessee State, like these are guys who are actually going to the NFL. Um, no shade to, the, <laughs> to my kids who were at Penn. There were very few um, who actually went uh, when I was there, but it was just, it, everything was big. <laughs> everything was big, even, even their, their internal um, model, you know, big, let's go big blue, like everything was big. Um, they had one of the very few um, women ADs at the time um, and African-American women. It was, just, Teresa Phillips um, was just ground shaking for me. Um, the person who hired me at Penn was a woman. And so I had always been nurtured professionally by women. And so going into that environment was also another big experience for me because I'd never even considered being an AD um, or even aspiring higher than just, just getting a job in athletics. Um, but having someone like Teresa say, you can go wherever you need to go, build the network <laughs> and we will lift you as you climb was just stunning to me. Um, but again, it was about inheriting all of that wonderful legacy um, and touching folks, um, you know, meeting Ed Temple, <laughs> which was stunning, who's an Olympic coach. The track is named after Ed Temple. There's a street here in Nashville named after Ed Temple. And he's the sweetest old man um, who recently passed away as well. And so it was just, again, inheriting that legacy and being so um, thoughtful and caring of those folks, but also realizing that because it was big time, that it was don't get it too attached to these coaches because they may be in and out because it's, now you're at the space where wins matter, legacy matters. Let's get these dubs. Let's make sure we get the tournaments. Let's make sure we get championships. And if we don't, <laughs> you may or may not be here after three or four years. Um, and it never really, really occurred to me at Penn. I don't think I had a single coach change at Penn in those two years, um, but it was definitely a game changer coming into the, the big environment of, of TSU and so, falling in love with the HBCU experience. I cannot recommend that enough to anyone. Um, if you wanna know what a family feels like from the students, from general pop to, to student athletes, from administration on down, that is it. Um, there's nothing like having um, the president at the time walk through campus and just say, hey, so-and-so, hey, so like knowing kids' names. He's the president of an institution with 10,000 students. How do you know random kids' names? 
but that's the kind of environment that Tennessee State was. And that was what Teresa fostered um, in the athletic department, that it was a family atmosphere. And so that was really, really important to me. Um, and so it's just, there's more similarities than people would think, um, but that marching band, <laughs> the aristocratic bands, whew, you cannot, if you love football, you think you love football, wait until you have a band like that play at halftime and then play in the fifth quarter, which is a whole other set of music that they play after the game ends. It's amazing. Um, such a great experience at Tennessee State. I was going to say, it sounds like um, you had a great experience there, maybe even fell in love with Nashville, considering you're still there now at Belmont. So I'll turn it over to Emily to talk a little bit more about your time um, there with the Bruins. Yeah, so uh, Scott and I have learned a lot about Belmont recently because we have two new uh, people in our office that used to be GAs at Belmont. So a lot of um, really good connections. Uh, shout out to Jacob Lutz and Amy Bonvillian. I can never say say her name right. Um, but just they've talked a lot about just the culture that you guys have at Belmont and just like the because it's the word of the podcast, the mentality that you guys employ every day. Um, so just talk a little bit about that and why uh, Belmont is such a cool place. Gosh, uh, those two first are amazing. Um, they're, they're amazing. We were really blessed to have them um, be a part of our community here in the athletic department. And so it's great to, that you've inherited um, what we had. And so I'm really hoping to hear great things from them um, as they continue their career with the Purple Aces. But I will say that um, the podcast title kind of fits to where we are. We have the mentality. We don't, it's, we're not held by the fact that we're a quote unquote mid-major. If we can figure out a way to do what people are doing at, at in the Power Five, then we're gonna figure out a way to get it done. Um, there's nothing that's stopping us from producing that same level of content um, video-wise or graphic-wise or um, even with individual um, athlete features. There's nothing that's stopping us from doing those things um, just because people wanna pigeonhole us into that. And so now that we've particularly entered into um, basketball season and people are trying to pay more attention to the institution, it's easy for people to, to say, oh, it's just Belmont. And then they roll a package and they're like, oh, this is like a real school. Like, you start hearing who, who the alumni are and you're like, oh, like I knew more about Belmont than I actually knew. And it's again, that, that mentality of, I do not wanna be, I will not be pigeonholed into what you think a mid-major should be. So yes, we are not, um, we're not gonna be, uh, all our games are not gonna be on ESPN. <laughs> we might be on the Ocho. <laughs> But Dagnavid, you're going to watch us and you're going to love it. We're putting together a great package. We have great student athletes. Um, we have a great product um, in, our, in our athletic teams. Um, but the other thing that's really, really important and different about Belmont is the family um, aspect here. I was, I've always been kind of teed up to that from my career path um, with the offices and the structures that they've had. Um, but here, because we're all in one location, which is very unique, I didn't realize that that was so unique. Uh, we most of the coaches um, when I was at Tennessee State uh, were all we were all kind of still in that same together space. Uh, but literally, I can walk about seven steps and be in coach in Casey Alexander's office. <laughs> like we're literally so close together. Um, everyone is literally a couple of door knocks on the wall, or you can everybody is so close together here. And so that builds this level of community that you may not have if you have to go into the basketball arena and then to the football stadium and then to the natatorium and then to the track and have this spread out space. Um, 
but it breeds this culture of community because we're doing life together. You spend more time with your folks at work than you do with your own family, some, especially when you're in season. Um, and so having that close-knit community of folks who are, hey, did you eat today? Because it's three o'clock and I didn't, I didn't see you leave your office. That's awesome. That doesn't happen everywhere. And so that, that part has been so great about being at Belmont. Um, and again, in just being enveloped in that community aspect. Um, and some of that is because Belmont is a faith-based institution, um, but it's also, we just have really good people <laughs> as evidenced by, by Lutz and Amy. So um, it's really, really been um, a blessing to be here. Um, it does not seem like 16 years. I remember my first day. I have the, the selfie that I took in my office from this first day and it does not seem like it was that long ago, but my gray hair will tell you differently. Um, but it has been an experience that I think that everyone who particularly wants to be in media relations um, um, or compliance at the mid-major level because you have such hands-on relationships with your student athletes and you can actually see how you're impacting those lives. This is a good space um, to be able to build out your career and know what you want and what you don't want. Yeah, I can see a lot of reflections of like what's going on at Belmont, what's going on at UE. Um, the fact that we're recording this episode that Scott's like two steps away from my office, we're all kind of in the same spot. Um, but you, you kind of, you talked about broad Belmont, but going down to what your role is um, at Belmont, kind of how, how has your role evolved during your time there? And just talk about a little bit about how you balance running social media, but also being an SID at the same time. Being an SID, um is the joy of my life. <laughs> you make it, if you want it to be the traditional sports information role, this is probably not the kind of institution, the, the level of institution you wanna be at um, because we're at such a high pace um, with the kind of student athletes that we're bringing in. We've got kids who are playing in the NBA right now. Like we're, we're you know, we are at a different place. Um, so it's forced us to evolve um, as a department, not even just as individual programs. Um, and so that, that has moved us from, I don't even think when I started here, this office was called um, Sports Formation. I think it's always been media relations, always forward thinking, going beyond the pigeonhole of, we, they just do stats and they just do game recaps. Well, no, we actually have relationships with the media so we can pitch things and we can go to lunch with XYZ reporter, um, you know, and pitch them a couple of things or someone who's at a news station and we know it's gonna be a slow news day because the Titans are off. Hey, if you're looking for something, come to practice at the track. We've got some great things that you can get there um, because it's about relating to the media and figuring out the best ways to pitch our student athletes in our department um, to folks and get them national, local, regional coverage. Um, so as we've evolved um, as a department and as our programs and their profile have been raised, um, we've had to figure out what that looks like. We tried the Tennessee model of having a, a media relations director for women's sports and for men's sports. And for a little bit that worked, but then the monsters just got too big. We just had so many programs that were doing so great that we had to figure out a better way to be able to cover them all. So we merged them back together and then parsed out sports. Um, I've done a lot of shuffling and trying to figure that out. Um, but in the meantime, I was the person who was always forward thinking. I was an early adopter of social media. Um, I was on Twitter when there were like 50,000 people. <laughs> so, so talking to, you know, like the actual people who put together the actual app, that was like not a big deal. Um, 
but trying to get that to people who who believed newsprint was the way to go was a really big struggle um, as I tried to push us more into the digital space um, because um, administration at the time was like, well, we're not on the front page of the sports section and we're not on the, that's great, but look at all these hits <laughs> from this, from the tweeter and from the bird that you don't, you don't care about, but that's where our folks are. We've trained them to go and follow our Twitter account. We trained them to go to our Facebook account. Now we train them to go and look at our Instagram account. Um, but transitioning folks to see, even if they didn't understand, this is where we need to be because this is where our fans are um, and our level of comfortability with the unknown because there's so much that changes in social media like every day. <laughs> every time you're like, okay, I got it. I'm gonna do a brief and get everybody up to speed. Oh, never mind. I just read an article. Let's throw that out. <laughs> Here's something else that's another great app. Let me go download this app and test it out for a week and see how that works and how we can best utilize that. So everything um, has been lightning quick. This title has only been for four years with our new athletic director um, because he was just like, well, that's what you do. So let's call it what you do. Like, yes, you're in media relations, but if this is what you do all day for us, if you're staring at 30 columns on TweetDeck, <laughs> how do we call that what you do? And I am looking at like 30 columns on TweetDeck and it does make your eyes cross after a while. But, um, but he wanted to best um, find a title that matched kind of what I did, but also respect the fact that I'm still in media relations and I'm still in the media contact for, you know, three different sports. So it's just evolved into being in a space where folks respect what you do um, and want to build on what you're doing. Um, because I talked earlier about that pigeonhole and people are like, oh, well, you just do stats. You just do this little thing. And it's like, well, we don't, there's, we haven't done that in probably 10 or 15 years. Media relations has evolved so far beyond that, that you can hire a person who is just your stat person. And that's all they do is they come in on a game day and they just stat and they leave. Like we handle everything else. Um, and so getting people to understand, we need to expand our staff. I can't stat a basketball game. And then if a TV station walks in, then they're just sitting there unattended because I am statting the game. That doesn't make sense. We need to think bigger. And so how do we expand our budgets sensibly and make sure that we have, that we can bring in statisticians, that we can hire outside photographers, that we can hire out, you know, outside videographers until we see, oh, well, maybe just make this a full-time position here at the university. Well, even in the athletic department, um, because that's where we're headed. Um, and so it's just kind of snowballed um, as the demand for content has come across um, for just general people. We've had to evolve to meet them where they are. So, you know, we may be on Clubhouse, you know, who knows? Who knows if we may end up next um, being drug kicking and streaming into, into TikTok. We're there. We're just not as active because the, the, the content level has to be so high because they expire. You know what I mean? So like <laughs> who has time to make something that's going to be gone in 24 hours? And if you miss it, you miss it. You know what I mean? Or if you miss, you miss the initial splash of it, you can always go to their stream and then go back through. But if you miss that for you page, that massive, let me just go through and scroll for the first 10 minutes, then you've kind of missed your, your target audience. And so then you have to depend on folks who are actual users to know, to be able to go to the individual space on the app. Sorry, it's very technical and <laughs> very, <laughs> very, 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 um, um, social media-ish, but that's what we have, that's how we have to think. Like, how do we capture those folks who are literally consuming data at such a high level that if they miss the five o'clock news broadcast, where else can they get that information? How else can we make sure that the story is told? If somebody sneezes too hard at the University of Tennessee, we still need to make sure our story gets told. <laughs> 
even though Knoxville's hours away, we've totally been bumped for things that have happened in Knoxville or something that's happened here with the Preds or with the Titans or with the sounds, anything like that. But our job is to be the storytellers um, and find the best way and the best avenues to get that out. Um, and that's just evolved um, over time really quickly though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, everything you were just talking about, I was like, I, I see that exactly in my position at UE because no, no fault of anyone at UE is, we've never had a person to be able to focus full-time on social media, but focus full-time on social media, graphics, and being an SID at the same time. And so it was a lot of balancing, what can Emily do, but also get everything else done at the same time. And so it's like, yeah, we're trying to get better and we're trying to do everything as quickly as possible because we're not on TikTok because we don't have the resources to do it long-term. And so um, having those tough conversations, I think is hard when you're like, I wanna do everything I can for my student athletes um, on social media, but knowing where the line is, is kind of hard. But I, I kind of just wanted to, ask you like how have you like being an SID for me I found that it's kind of easier to tell student athlete stories um, on social media because you're more in the weeds of like what's going on in the game so how have you found that and if like do you have any fun stories about any kind of stories that you've been able to cover because you have the SID perspective I think being an embedded SID is the difference maker when you travel with the team and you can actually find out oh, this is a quirk that you actually have. Like there's weird things that you do that's part of your pregame ritual or your night before ritual. Um, the best way to, to see that sometimes is sometimes let student athletes do a takeover. Um, and so part of our takeovers is you have to do the night before. You have to say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm gonna take over to you know the account tomorrow, but here's what I do when I go to bed. Like <laughs> this is a thing because people have no idea what our student athletes do. It's like, and some people have very, very extravagant bedtime rituals it's a thing. Like sometimes the last time that we had a really, really big splash on the night before was uh, one of the men's soccer players who had a, a hair thing. And so he showed people with his hair, was his night before hair routine was and the products and the washing and the, it was a thing. And people were like, this is nuts. But that team, that particular class was, they were all about hair. Um, so people wanted to see, okay, so how do you maintain the hair during the match? And so going back in and showing pictures that we took during the match of his hair being perfectly quaffed while he's playing soccer was pretty fun. Um, but finding that that way to be able to tell their stories because obviously it's just their life. They're not thinking of it from the 3000 foot level, um, but letting them still have a voice. One of the things that's the most important thing that can happen during someone's life in college is that they feel empowered. Um, you, you only get this one time to be this age. And so how do we make sure that you understand the impact of being this age with this level of um, level of impact that you can actually have? Yeah. Um, as we get closer to what NIL will look like, um, that, would that conversation will certainly change. Um, but at least right now that someone can say, yes, you can actually go to college um, and play at a high level and still be at a very rigorous institution and graduate in four years. <laughs> and I'm going to show you how, because I just did it. And I'm going to tell you how it's done. Um, and I can tell you what that looks like from a stat perspective and what the schedule looks like, blah, blah, blah. But they can say, okay, I'm on my way to econ. <laughs> and I'm stopping through the cafe to grab lunch in a bag because I don't have time because my classes are so tight together because I have to make sure I get done in time for practice. 
regular people outside of athletics don't think about what that looks like. We know what it's like to eat our lunch at a desk because <laughs> you need to get something done. You need to read something, but they don't necessarily think about what that looks like for a student athlete. And so part of our job is telling that story for them and figuring out the ways they don't think anything of the fact that they have lucky charms every day. They don't most people are right-handed and so they don't think about which order they put on shoes. Do they put on right shoe, left shoe? Do they do sock, sock, shoe, shoe? But they don't even think about that. And so breaking it down into small manageable bites to be able to get people to see what it's really like to be a student athlete. Um, you know, the, the, times, the times that they get up, the times that they get up on game days, the times that they get up to finish homework on days that they have to travel, those kinds of things are the, the interesting parts that we can allow them to tell for themselves and while we give the grand framing of it all like this is game week they're going to go baseball's going to they just left for old miss um and so what did that look like the night before packing all the stuff making sure you don't leave anything you going to your locker room packing everything in the locker to make sure you don't leave anything because you don't want to be the one that coach we can't leave i left my lucky cleats <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be that person um, <laughs> because you didn't take care of business the night before or before you got on the bus. You know what I mean? So those are the kinds of things that we try to try to highlight um, in that space um, on social. But it's it's a matter of just finding the best way to tell that story. And so it may be putting someone um, who's uncomfortable with being seen in the clubhouse space where they can just talk and feel free to talk because no one's looking at them. They're just talking into their phone or um I'll let you see me, but I'll only be on stories because I don't want to keep looking at my face. Well, okay, that's fine. Stories are great. It'll go away. It's <laughs> um, whatever it is we can do to figure out the best ways to tell those stories. We shouldn't inhibit our we shouldn't inhibit our students. Excuse me, to the thinking so narrowly about what um, and how that can be told. They may be great writers and don't even know because they're majoring in like in finance, and so they don't have an opportunity to write. But they may have a great way to do like a, a player's. Tribune kind of you know, look at their at their day as a student athlete. And so our job is to mine those things out and figure out the best way to tell those stories. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing some awesome, awesome stuff at Belmont. I, I think we could talk about all of those stories for the rest of the day. Um, oh, I know, right? <laughs> I have, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I think we have some uh, other topics to kind of, uh, really important topics, I know to me, but definitely for you of just some stuff that you uh, mentioned in our pre recording um, communication. Um, I'm gonna leave all of this kind of just open-ended, whatever you wanna talk about, um, um, and we'll go from there. But um, something you mentioned was just the importance of like diversity and equity and inclusion. And you kind of already um, touched on that, empowering student athletes to tell their stories, but talk about your experience with that and uh, just why it's absolutely so important to continue those conversations. I think as our student populations in general become more diverse, we need to make sure that our faculties and staff represent that as well. And so that makes conversations easier. Um, not that they could ever be easy to talk about the murder of someone like George Floyd, but if you have someone in your department who can say, hey, <laughs> let me help you understand this because you're not gonna understand this. Uh, let me give you some context to what this looks like in my life or um, in what your student athlete's life looks like or why they are responding in a particular way um, because it's just, oh, that's just news to you, but you have no idea if this person even knows someone or if this may be um, part of a, a trauma-informed response because this reminds them of something that happened to them growing up. Or they may have just read the story uh, and seen the pictures of Emmett Till and that has been a lasting image for them. And then we have to understand what that did when they saw that happen on film for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Um, 
but having people in, in departments who are able to speak to diverse populations um, is really important, but also having people who can talk to staff <laughs> because you can look around your staff sometimes um, and there may not be any diversity at all. Um, and that, that can be very difficult for student athletes um, when they want to aspire to something and they're not quite sure what that looks like um, or they want positive reinforcement. I had a great conversation with a student athlete at the beginning of the year when we hired um, our softball coach and she said, this is the first time that I felt comfortable to be myself because my coach is a lesbian and I'm one too. That's huge. That's huge. And we've had coaches in this person's you know time here at Belmont who have been very, very, um, please keep that to yourself. I don't want to know anything about that. Um, and that's, that's hard when you're having to choose between being your full self. How do you find empowerment in that? If you can't be your full amazing self in all your aspects, um, or even if you're still trying to figure out what the heck that looks like, you may be um, a biracial student athlete and no one's ever to you, you're just you. <laughs> but in this environment where there's not very many people of color, now you're being identified in a way that you've never had to be identified as before. And so how do we find great resources for you um, in the staff, um, either someone who's a designated person on your staff who is um, going to be deliberate and intentional about making sure that this community and all communities of color um, are, and all diverse populations are um, spoken well for, that they can advocate for them. This is not just a check the box thing. How do we make sure that that is taken care of in the best way? Um, and I think that that's so important and it's just become um, something that's really, really important to me. I think starting at Penn and having such a very diverse athletic department, I didn't realize that there was an issue um, until um, I would travel um, for games and wouldn't see another person of color until we played another school in Philadelphia which was stunning because when you look, depending on what sport it is, you could see a lot of people of color dressing uniform. And so how do we make sure that those students don't feel like they're being used um, as property of the university? And because they look around, they're like, well, 85% of my team looks like me, but none of my coaches my entire life <laughs> have looked anything like me or know anything about my experience. Um, and I think in, in sport, it's a very difficult space to navigate because we're, we're taught to think of us all as one team and everything matters because we're all together and everything is, is all concerning to everyone. But I think that there's, there's shades and colors of that that we missed when we don't take the time to honor that people are different and experiences are different. And what that student athlete brings is just as important um, as the scores that they put up, as the marks that they make, as the points that they score. They are full, actualized human beings. And so how do we value them as in that space um, and advocate for them to figure out what that looks like? You don't want someone to leave your institution and feel unprepared for dealing with the real world because we don't wanna talk about that here. We don't, we don't wanna ruffle the feathers. They're still gonna be, a, they're still gonna be black or brown or Asian or disabled when they leave. <laughs> four, four or five years with you does not stop that from being a part of their real life. And so if we don't take the time to, to educate them and get them prepared for how the world may receive them, as well as the folks who don't look like that, to be prepared to have um, someone who is different from them in a space and they treat them like people, not the black person, not the, the queer person, not the, you know what I mean? Like how do we make sure that folks on both sides see each other as fully actualized humans and respect where they're coming from? And that's the job of faculty and staff um, 
to pick up that mantle. And yes, it's a heavy, heavy mantle. Um, and it, it's, it's a duties as assigned. <laughs> There's no way to necessarily always quantify that. And it's not always comfortable. And it is long suffering um, because it doesn't turn off. There's no way we would have thought that Memorial Day would have turned into what it turned into and turned into the summer of, of, of conflict um, for some people because they had never thought about it. It had been just, it was just news, just things that happened over there and in that place. Um, but for me, it was very triggering um, because I went to high school with Mike Brown's dad. So when his son got killed, that was my friend's son being killed. For me, being in a space to now being able to tell folks and they were like, wait, what? Like, yes, this is real life for people. This is not just some guy in Minnesota, some guy in New Orleans, some guy, this is not that. This is real life stuff and this is affecting me as a professional. And so I need you to see me as a fully actualized person, not just your colleague. I'm a full person with a family, with you know friends and parents and this is heavy. And because you're uncomfortable with it does not change the fact that this is my life. <laughs> and it shouldn't take you eight minutes and 46 seconds to recognize my humanity. It should, it should just be the fact that on site you see, oh, you're human. Okay, I'm gonna respect you. I'm gonna take care of you. You've asked me to call you this. <laughs> I'm gonna call you this. You asked me to treat you this way. I'm gonna treat you this way. But my baseline should already be treating you well <laughs> because you are a fully actualized human being. And it's so important for us to make sure that our students feel that, that we shouldn't ask them to hide any part of who they are because they're still figuring it out. We were so awkward at 18 to 22. We made a bunch of mistakes. Praise God, there was no social media back then. So, no, so some of us are actually like having real jobs and able to function in society, thank gosh. But for them who are living their lives out loud, how are we best supporting them and helping them figure it out? Just because we're not comfortable doesn't mean books aren't, aren't read. There's not documentaries out there. There's not movies out there that we can refer folks to. There's not speakers we can bring in. Just because we're in a space where it's uncomfortable for us or our departments does not change the fact that that's still reality for that kid at all. So how do we take care of that in that, in that DEI space and not trivialize the fact that I'm the first um, and the only African-American who's been in administration um, here at Belmont. We had someone here who was um, actually a guest on your podcast. He was here for a year. Prior to that, I can count all of the African-American coaches and staff on one hand since I've been here in 16 years. How do I make sure that I serve as auntie to all the folks who need to be able to see a person of color, but also say, you're gonna work with a professional. You've never seen a black professional before. <laughs> here I am. But guess what? I'm just a person who's a professional. You don't treat me differently. You treat me like a business person. I'm going to treat you like a business person. If you're coming into my office to conduct business, if you're coming into my office as a student athlete, I'm going to treat you like any other student athlete. But for some students, this is the first time they've ever been this close to a professional black person before. That's weird, but it is what it is. And for even for some of my colleagues, this may be the first time they've ever worked with a black person. And they've been colleagues, not just, there's not been a hierarchy, you know, boss and a subordinate. So it's really important, again, for us to help people navigate that space, even when we feel like it's just too big for us, because in academia, we feel like we should know everything. <laughs> this is where the place that we teach people how to, how to learn the things and how to do the things. So we should know the stuff, but we have done a good job of avoiding things because they are uncomfortable for us in, in academia. And so on a converse, in athletics, 
we just ignore the fact that teams are just slanted in a particular way. Oh, we don't, we don't recruit from that school over there. We don't get kids from that city. Why? <laughs> and why are we not talking about that? And why are we not having honest conversations about that when our kids ask us those questions, when they fill out things on their exit interviews and say, everything was amazing with <laughs> my institution, except for this experience with being a person of color, except with being a member of the LGBTQIA community. And then we just ignore that anomaly on their exit review and we just move on. We can't continue to do that if we want to make sure that we are putting out the best product of people, not just athletes, but of people when they graduate from our institutions. We wanna be able to see them on their fields of play. Like the commercial says for the NCAA, like 85% of our student athletes <laughs> never touch a professional field. Um, I want that kid who ends up being a CEO to say, man, my experience at, at my school was so great because I learned how to deal with diverse populations. And I realized how important it was to have women at the table realize how important it was to have disabled people at the table. That's where they learn that here at college. I'm so sorry, that was really, really long. This is my, this <laughs> so passionate for me um, because people just wanna put a Band-Aid on it. And this is a gaping wound because we just kind of let it sit there and fester and kind of just get to a space where it shouldn't have because we didn't wanna be uncomfortable. Um, but we teach our kids to play through it. <laughs> Dagnabbit, you need to pick up the book and play through it, you know, read the book, sit there and, and, and pull out the highlighter and read white fragility and, and do the work. You know what I mean? Like read a book that's really hard. Read, read I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown and, and then find somebody, join a, a book group on campus. If there's not one, start one. <laughs> or ask, why aren't we talking about this? Can I audit your class? I see you're having this amazing class. You have great speakers. Can I audit your class this semester and just sit in and listen to people talk about stuff? We have to stop being afraid to ask the hard questions because our kids are asking the hard questions and they're getting really tired of the I don't know, <laughs> or we'll talk about that later. We can't, we, we'll talk about that later that them for four or five years. That's just not fair to them. Yeah, like that, it, your answers was so awesome. I was just sitting here like taking in every word because um, over the summer, I my eyes got smacked open because I, I realized that everything I knew was not correct and so what can we do to fix all, we can't fix it all in one night, but like, what can we do to move that conversation forward? So we make those improvements on campus and get, give student athletes that empowerment to tell their stories and uh, all the things that you just talked about. So I, uh, yeah, I, I guess my follow-up question to that, you kind of mentioned a couple books, but what is, if someone listening to this podcast is like, I have seen all of the things that have been happening lately, but I don't know where to start. Like what, what would your, like they have a passion to change or like they want to figure out what they should do next. What, what would you tell them to do? Um, depends on where you are in your journey. So first I would have them realize that even baby steps are still steps forward. <laughs> Don't despite your small beginning. Um, so you even just buying the book may have been a really big step for you. You buying the book and then having it sit on your desk maybe an even bigger step for you because now you can have to acknowledge when people walk in your office, they see this book on your desk um, or you carry it in your bag or um, when you're pulling things out, you know, pregame, this book comes out. Um, but using the resources that are around you, 
we are at institutions of higher learning. Why are we not tapping into the speakers that we bring in for our regular students and for our student athletes? Nothing stopping us from going in and, you know, and listening, um, especially now in the digital space, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> turn your camera off and just sit in the back and just listen, you know, just this, it's not for you, but you can still consume what they're, what they're putting out. Um, I would say connect with, um, if you're in the athletic space, connect with MOA. Um, it's a great organization for, um, for um, people of color and for allies and folks who wanna make sure that all kinds of minorities have spaces and opportunities um, in athletics. It's a great way to do that. And that's a great way to build a network of folks who are like-minded. Um, and then depending on what your individual discipline is inside of sport, they're always going to be um, those diverse organizations who are always looking for allies to join them. Um, so please join, if you're in um, sports information, join BC SIDA. Um, there's all these great organizations um, that are already there and have been doing the work and can give you a whole bunch of resources and connect you with folks who would love to talk to you now by Zoom. Um, you can got, you know, have a, a, a quick coffee by Zoom and, and talk about, I don't know where to get started. Well, great. <laughs> join women's leaders. <laughs> make the investment and figure out, I say I wanna support women, but am I really supporting women? Let me take some workshops and figure out some things. Um, there's all kinds of folks who are all kinds of um, um, organizations um, that are offering audited classes, um, getting certificates um, in great things. You can always look at um, Dr. Richard Lapchick and what he's doing with Tides um, and doing the report cards. And then he gives a great list of resources at the end. It's a long report and it can be really hurtful because a lot of us love athletics and we're not doing so great in a lot of our spaces. Um, but the stuff is there. Sometimes just doing a Google search and if you're afraid and you're doing it at work, go to incognito window and do a search for, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, whatever um, marginalized community plus athletic training. If you if you're if you know if you're not in a space where you're ready for people to know that that's what you're looking for, you want to make sure that um, everyone is represented. If you if you're a part of a search committee. Um, first of all, ask to be a part of search committees <laughs> because you can help bring a diverse voice and say, well, everybody we're interviewing for this looks the exact same, or they all have the same, they all went to power five institutions. What about someone who's coming from the NAIA ranks who, may, who is equally qualified? How are we making sure that those folks are included and, and that they're a part of that discussion? And some people are thinking so high level, they don't even think about those great, those great details that we need to make sure are included. Um, so yeah, I would say, don't despise your small beginning. Use that incognito window until you're ready to start making big public splashy things. Because people, some people may be a, may feel a way that you have decided to break away from the quote unquote norm of your culture in your offices um, because you want to be an advocate and an ally. Um, but I would challenge folks to move past that. Um, ally is great, um, but I can be allied with anything. I, I'm allied with with a, a great place that makes calamari because that is my thing and I love calamari. So if you make great calamari, baby, I'm there. Um, but I would prefer you to start working towards being a champion where you are the person who's in the room who says, everybody in the room is from the same office. Everybody in this room is assistant ADs, why? <laughs> How are the voices not being heard that we're trying to make decisions about? How are we impacting them because we haven't invited them to the table? being that champion for that person. If you're on an email and you look at the email list of folks and you're like, well, why is there all men on here? There's no women that are included in this email and the decision that's gonna happen in this email thread is gonna impact our female student athletes. 
be a champion for women in that space, be a champion for folks who are still struggling with what happened um, last summer and say, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay for you to not be okay. Um, and I'm gonna champion you to be in a space where you're still figuring out what that looks like. And we're gonna talk through why you're gonna choose or not choose to come out during the national anthem. And I'm gonna figure out how, how we're, as a department, I may not agree with you, but our constitution says you have a right to be able to do you know, do those things. Um, but don't, even though, even thinking about those things is a part of the process. And sometimes we don't even give ourselves the credit to even have those, those conversations, even internally, um, even amongst our group of friends, we have a meeting after the meeting, you know, you have like the big office staff meeting and all of a sudden everybody just hops on the phone and starts this big check thread and starts talking or they're, um, they're in Slack and they're talking about um, whatever just happened. Um, having those conversations with those people who are who are the closest to us and then figuring out, well, why haven't we had blah, blah, blah? Why haven't we tried blah, blah, blah? Starting those small spaces and don't discount them because that's where the real work is. We can change the world slowly but surely, but we have to start small. We have to. Kanisha, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your insight on all of that. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and move kind of to our final remarks here for the sake of time. Um, and this could be anything at all that you want to get out to the world. Um, it could be long, it could be short, whatever you want to kind of end with uh, for our episode. I'll, I'll leave it for you. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, again, thank you all for having me on. This has been awesome um, to share um, a bit of what it looks like to have the mentality, but not be at those kinds of institutions. Um, I will say that folks um, should look for even more outlets for what they're doing in their offices. And I mean, that we talked earlier about balance, Emily mentioned that. And so I think that that's really important that we find that, especially now with a lot of us who are doing all of the sports all at the one time, uh, finding ways to be able to, to assert that balance in our lives um, and be proactive and, and draw spaces and, and put up some, some barriers and say, this is too much. You know, me working 14 hour days is nuts. <laughs> like. Yes, that's what the job calls for, but I should necessarily, if my last, if I left my office at 9.45, you shouldn't expect me to be here at 7.45. That's insane. Like setting up those boundaries um, is really, really important. Figuring out, well, hey, I can't go, we can't, because of COVID, we can't go and you know, feed the homeless, but can we start a letter writing campaign to the government uh, locally to figure out ways so we can support them? Can we do a sock drive? Can we do, think differently about how we can serve um, in this particular environment until the world opens up. And hopefully that will be relatively soon, um, but educating ourselves about different ways to be um, those best champions for folks is probably my favorite thing that I wanna leave with you all. Um, in addition to, to building and establishing those boundaries, in addition to honoring and respecting your small steps. <laughs> Cause it can feel like, man, you've read 12 books. And I just read this one little article on Players Tribune. That is okay. Start, so everybody started somewhere. You know what I mean? Like it, that just happens to be my degree area. So I probably read a whole bunch more, but there's nothing wrong with asking people what's on their bookshelves um, or even starting a virtual bookshelf. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you get a Kindle together and you know start a book club um, in the department. Um, but I would, again, caution folks to not beat themselves up um, during this process of learning. We're at institutions of higher learning. So we we're learning just like them. I know that it seems easy that we can put all the learning on, on, on our students and our student athletes, but we're learning as well. And so 
it's really important again those boundaries i just keep wanting to just emphasize boundaries y'all please do not burn yourselves out because may will be here not as soon as we like it but i want most of us to come back to the industry and not because we burned ourselves out trying to do all the things at all the time and still deal with all this other stuff that's going on it's really really important for us to figure out what those boundaries look like and what those outlets look like for us so if it is going to get your hair cut if it is going to get a pedicure if it is 15 minutes with your door with your lights off in your office and you're doing deep breathing whatever that is if it becomes overwhelming figuring out how to take care of yourself in this space, whether you're part of a marginalized community or not, when um, it's just a news story to folks, but this is hitting home for you, you may need to take a PTO. <laughs> you may just need to just do half a day and everybody's working from home from a lot of places anyway. So it, what's the difference from you just being in a safer space um, or creating that safe space and asking people to respect what you've created um, in your work, working space? Um, yeah, I'm trying to hit a bunch of stuff because you're supposed to talk so about so much stuff. And I just got so long-winded talking about diversity. So I apologize. Um, but I really think again that we need to offer ourselves, um, offer ourselves grace and extend grace to folks in this in this time in particular. Because there's so much that's going on. Um, and the world will never be the same. Um, as much as we want to talk about going back to normal, there is no going back to normal. Our eyes have been open, like you said, Emily. There's been people have just been like, I never even thought about some of these things in everything, we've had so many great people step up and find their voice and we need to make sure that we continue to empower our student athletes um, in those spaces to be able to do that because they're our future leaders. Those are the folks who are helping to lead the world. If 75% of the women who are in C-suites played in college sports, we are helping to shape the world by how we're giving them the greatest experiences at our institutions. Um, so whether that means um, our outlet could be donating um, money to some organization in schools that are, that's helping girls connect with stuff. If it's, you know, becoming a member of a women's leaders, like I said, if there's, you know, some sponsoring someone else to be a part of an organization, whatever it is, find your baby step and start walking. <laughs> I'm not asking you to take long Olympic strides, just start baby stepping your way towards um, helping to make this be a better place for all of us. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I think a lot of your message is very timely too, because I, scroll through Twitter these days and it's a lot of doom and gloom and you know there's 15 home games this week and how am I going to do it and I, I just hope people you know kind of remember the reason why they're in it and and do take the steps necessary to make sure that this isn't the end of their sports business career that they're it won't always be this way so I think that's a very very timely message um, well Kanisha thank you so much again for joining us we really enjoyed the conversation um, I do want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at P5Mentality. Subscribe to and rate us on your favorite podcast streaming site and check out our blog on the Power 5 Mentality website. And remember, Power 5 is just a mentality.